Hello, everyone. Welcome to the American Blue Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Admiral Tim Gallaudet, the CEO of Ocean STL Consulting, former Deputy Administrator of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, and also former Assistant Secretary of Commerce and before that, the Oceanographer of the Navy. We're a monthly offering by the American Shoreline Podcast Network and brought to you by Coastal News Today. The American Blue Economy podcast brings together leading voices in the ocean, coastal, and Great Lakes-based economies to expand awareness and collaboration, identify the positive solutions to address the many challenges to the ocean economy, such as conflicting uses and climate change, and provide thought leadership on keeping the blue economy at the forefront of American conservation and prosperity. In today's episode, we look at shipwrecks and the sea life they sustain and how they contribute to the American blue economy. But before we begin, I'd like our listeners to know that our media team at Coastal News Today is looking for sponsors. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor, contact Tyler Buckingham at tyler at coastalnewstoday.com or go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising. So I am delighted to introduce our guests. These are world-class leaders in ecology and ocean and marine science and a few students uh, representing the next generation of those leaders. And, uh, and we have a nice diverse mix. First up, we have Dr. Avery Paxton. Avery is a research marine biologist with NOAA's National Centers for Coastal and Ocean Science in Beaufort, North Carolina. And she's really the impetus of this show because she is a leading national expert and authority on the subject. So Avery, thanks for inspiring me on this and thanks for thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me today, Tim. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Right on. We also have Katie Breslin, who is a marine educator at the North Carolina Aquarium in Manteo, North Carolina. And so she serves that vital and important role of communicating to the public the importance of the topic we're going to discuss today. And I was also inspired by Katie because she gave a NOAA science seminar earlier this year in April on this very subject of shipwreck ecology. So Katie, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. I'm excited to be here. Right on, yes. And also, as I mentioned, we have two students from North Carolina State University. And this is neat because this is the first time I've had students come on the show. And I, I think their perspective is really going to enrich the discussion like never before. First up, we have Haley Lewis, who just graduated from NCSU, where she studied zoology and marine science in Raleigh, North Carolina. Haley, thanks for coming here. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You bet. And we also have Ilea Braxton. Ilea, pardon me, Ilea is finishing her sophomore year, and she's studying marine biology also in Raleigh, North Carolina. Ilea, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Oh, you bet. Well, here we go. Let's just get into it. And Avery, as I mentioned, Avery Paxton from NOAA, you really inspired me on this when, because I really didn't know the topic when I was at NOAA. And as I saw some of your papers, your, your peer-reviewed research papers and a, a few presentations, I, I just couldn't be more excited about the idea of combining shipwrecks and the maritime heritage they represent, which I've spoken about on several shows here, and the idea of ecology and supporting ecosystems. So I think your journey started when you were a NOAA hauling scholar. Would you mind telling us about that initial work in shipwreck ecology and uh, how you got into it and and what that ended up really uh, resulting in? 
Yes. And I could not agree more with you, Tim, that it's just such a fascinating topic. To me, it's that fusion of history and ecology that first drew me to this area. And my interest in shipwreck ecology started when I was a recreational scuba diver. I had the opportunity to dive on several shipwrecks off the coast of North Carolina and was fascinated. I shortly thereafter was awarded a NOAA Hollings Scholarship, which is a phenomenal undergraduate research and scholarship opportunity, and was able to collaborate with one of my current partners, the NOAA Monitor National Marine Sanctuary, which protects the shipwreck of the USS Monitor, a very iconic Civil War era ironclad vessel. And that is how I got my start, um, doing fish surveys on shipwrecks off the coast of North Carolina. One thing led to the next, and I find myself still in that arena. And it's just a fascinating topic, and there's so many mysteries still to be answered out there. Yes, exactly. And I have to ask you, what was your first shipwreck that you dove on and had this uh, aha moment? My first shipwreck that I dove on and had this aha moment was a shipwreck of a German submarine or U-boat that sank during World War II off the coast of North Carolina. It's the U-85, for those who are familiar. It's in about 100 feet of water. And on that first dive, I was greeted by an assortment of fish, some small silvery bait fish, but the most memorable was an ocean sunfish. For those who are familiar with those, it's uh, almost dinosaur-looking fish. And yeah. called a mola mola, and I was just, um, yeah, I was. You were hooked. Perplexed, and I was hooked. I wanted to know more. That's so cool. Well, I think I've shared with the audience that I have been diving on U three five two, another of the four German U boats that are sunk off the North Carolina coast. And to me, that was surreal in the fact that, yes, the idea of combining maritime heritage and and the sea life they sustain was beautiful, but also the history, the, the history that I've written about too, uh, just was moving to me as a, as a naval officer. And uh, well, cool, that's so neat. Let's, let's go ahead and move on and we'll get back and talk more about some of the, uh, the ecosystems that you have studied, Avery. Um, but I'd like to get to Katie, because Katie, I, I, you gave me the idea to have this episode when I, I listened to you uh, give the NOAA Science Seminar on April 26th. And it was a beautiful presentation, and you actually included um, Ilya and uh, Haley in your presentation, and um, and you talked about this this whole field and the outreach you conduct for it. So give our audience an overview of that presentation, if you don't mind condensing on what was an hour to uh, just a few minutes. <laughs> sure. So Easy. The, yeah, <laughs> that's what I do. The presentation was all about shipwreck ecosystems, looking at how they evolve over time into these reefs that we start to see and how these shipwrecks are, are both cultural representations for our region where we live and they are making really important impacts on our ocean ecosystem. And we looked at an overview of how the aquariums, the North Carolina aquariums and their partners are working on these shipwrecks or with animals that inhabit these ecosystems around these shipwreck reefs and what, what those projects look like and the sustainability and stewardship with those projects and what folks can do in their own homes to support that, even if you live in the middle of landlocked Kansas. 
Right. It was a great presentation. Look, look for it on Noah's website. You'll be sure to find it. It's a great, it's a great show. And I saw it again today and, and you were wonderful. I really appreciate the outreach and education component of the aquarium's mission. And I've, I mean, really, I've talked about this too, Katie, about the aquariums uh, have such an important blue economy role because they turn on the public to sustainability and the science that supports a thriving blue economy. So love your mission and have been to your, your aquarium probably half a dozen times while vacationing in Kitty Hawk. That's awesome. Thank you for the kind words and for helping share our message and our mission. And I've always loved your logo. Is It's a spade fish, isn't that right? It is. Ocean uh, Atlantic spade fish is really <laughs> a, a beautiful uh, species. And um, yeah, that's a great place. So I I'm definitely want to do a pitch here and encourage everybody who is in the region of the Outer Banks to visit uh, the North Carolina Aquarium in uh, Manteo on Roanoke Island. Now, in your presentation, Katie, you spoke, you spoke about Haley doing work where uh, of the ROV video taken by the Global Foundation for Ocean Exploration uh, on the NOAA ship Nancy Foster during that expedition called the Valor of the Atlantic in May of 2022. Uh, there, there, uh, Haley, I want to come to you. You are helping uh, perform some science. Tell us about the science you were doing uh, in that mission. Yeah, so um, I worked with ROV footage from Valor in the Atlantic of May 2022. Um, within that, I looked at each video separately. They were um, about five minutes each, and I would pick a minute within each video and randomly tally up fish that I could personally see in ID. Um, from here, we easily got over... 40 videos for each dive. Uh, we had one during the day and one during the night in order to um, effectively see the differences between night and day dives, as well as what location within the ship these fish preferred. That's neat. I don't think, I don't know if you know this, but I, I live streamed that. I followed the live stream the in its entirety during that expedition because I just love the topic so much. And the, the, NOAA's National Marine Sanctuary for the Monitor, the USS Monitor, uh, is the Superintendent Tane Casserly, who I've been diving, it was on that U-boat, uh, Avery U-352, I, I dove with him. He was like the narrator of this really wonderful uh, live stream event. And I, I recall, Haley, that the Monitor was one ship, but were there, there, there was a, a, several others, weren't there? Yes, there was. Um, while I only focused on the Monitor, there are I believe three more in the folder, um, including the E.M. Clark. Right. And I forget the name of the other one, but there's two more as well. That's really neat. What what cool work. And so and you, you're a student for Professor Carol Price, isn't that right? Yes. And she's associated with the aquarium, isn't she? She is. Pine North Shores Aquarium, actually. Oh, okay. Well, how neat. Well, we'll go into more about what you learned um, but I don't want to leave out Ilea. Ilea, you were doing some of this science too. What, what, what was your contribution? Yes. Yeah, so with my portion throughout the ROV footage, I was able to extract photographs from the footage and look into the sand tiger shark portion of that. So with that, I was able to collect images and put it into a Spot-A-Shark USA database and help determine whether it was a new shark to be added to the database or if it was a 
re-encounter, which would be a shark that was already in the database that was either spotted at the same wreck or from a different wreck. And with that, we can um, kind of determine in a way it's traveling patterns. So that was my focal point of this project. Great. You, uh, so is it correct to say you were help, helping to determine the distribution and abundance of the sand tiger shark population on uh, on the Outer Banks? I believe, I'm not entirely sure, but I believe so. Well, I have someone on this podcast who can answer that for you because Avery Paxton is an expert on this. And if I'm correct, Avery, you did your PhD work on this. Isn't that right? Yes, Tim. So I did my PhD work on fish communities and how a diversity of fish was using shipwrecks that are off the coast of North Carolina, as well as human-made structures like artificial reefs that are intentionally sunk and understanding how fish were using those built structures versus the naturally occurring rocky reefs. And so sand tiger sharks are one of the largest fish species that we will often see on these sites and are a very important member of the fish community. And seeing them here means that it's a sign of a healthy ecosystem. And so ILEA's work has been instrumental and helping us understand how the fish communities are functioning. And I think Katie, maybe from the aquariums, can shed a little more light on how um, ILEA's work on sand tiger sharks has been very influential for their community science program, if we want to get there next. Cool, cool. But now I know it was your postdoc work at Duke, wasn't it, Avery? Yes. So I did postdoc work with a group of partners. So I was working with the North Carolina Aquarium System, as well as a nonprofit called the Southeast Zoo Alliance for Reproduction and Conservation, CESARC, as well as Duke University. So it was a highly collaborative environment. And we were working to develop a citizen science program that the aquariums um, manages and is in charge of and is a very, very successful um, entity, and we're also using remotely operated vehicle surveys to understand how sharks being present on some of these shipwrecks would, what we found out was they had a halo of influence around them. So when sharks were present, we'd see a higher variety of fish on these shipwrecks, which was really fascinating and something that was new to us. That's so neat. I've never heard the term in marine science, a halo of influence. I, I love that and get it. Um, before I go to Katie and talk more about that effort, why is that? Why you, It's counterintuitive, I think, to the average person to think sharks on a wreck mean more, more, more and better and diverse biodiversity in the, in the population. Right. So the way I like to think of it is that these shipwrecks are often like skyscrapers underwater. You have a sandy seafloor that is relatively flat in portions, and then you come across these shipwrecks which rise high off the floor, like a skyscraper almost, and they have this large variety of fish. And now what we've been able to see is that these sharks, when they're there, they're such a valuable member of the food web. They're that top link, one of the top links on these sites, that to have them there means that it's a pretty healthy shipwreck site. And what we found is that in the immediate vicinity of these sharks, we actually had a higher number and um, type of reef fish around them. And so we think there's some sort of protective benefit for some of these fish that may not be preyed upon directly by the sharks to associate closely with them. Right. That's really neat. That's so fascinating. 
coming from someone who was not a biologist, I, I'm learning new things every day in this field. So thank you, Avery. And, and Katie, in your uh, NOAA science seminar on April 26, you spent quite a bit of time talking about sand tiger sharks. And I, I, I took notes up today, and I, but I won't repeat it. I'd like you to share with our audience some of the things you've observed and shared during uh, that webinar, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Sand tiger sharks are an amazing native species we see off of a lot of these reef ecosystems. And the aquarium works with several different partners, as well as you mentioned, Dr. Carol Price and, and these students, Haley and Ilea, to understand the populations and distribution of the sharks, as well as how, how can we collect that data and then how can the aquarium collect more data with our animals that are in professional care to help support those natural populations. And some of the projects that we're helping work on are spot a shark, which is one that Dr. Price works on a lot that we talk about here at the aquarium. So sand tiger sharks have an individualized spot pattern, kind of like we have our own fingerprint or zebras have their own stripe pattern. So with really good equipment, we can take photos of these sharks to then match those spot patterns and get an understanding if we can figure out the individual, we can track them, where are they hanging out, um, get information about abundance and, and whatnot, and follow that around. We can also use acoustic monitoring. So the aquariums have helped with O-search tagging of some animals off of our coast. And those tags can be monitored sometimes by satellite, sometimes acoustically. We also put out acoustic receivers. So when the animal with the tag swims by that receiver, it gives a little ping and it then creates a map that we can look at where these animals are moving and try to look at maybe different correlations, seasonality, or are they following food and, and try to look at those correlations and, and maybe get some understanding of their behavior and what motivates it. And the other thing that we really looked at with sand tiger sharks is we worked on a project with Cezark where we monitored the members of those sand tiger shark pop, um, the members of the sand tiger shark population that are in that professional care and within the SSP or the Species Survival Plan with the AZA, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, to look at how they're using those exhibit habitats and their behavior within them because they're doesn't seem to be a great understanding of how these animals reproduce in the wild and because they reproduce it, it takes a long time they're pregnant for like nine to 12 months and typically will have one to two pups so they're not reproducing at a rate that is sustainable for how many sharks are being removed from our ocean so if we can better understand how they're using their habitat and how they reproduce we might be able to help them with that and and boost those numbers through this science that's so neat. I, I've mentioned on other shows that I did do a similar type of work in Guadalupe Island off Mexico where we were photo IDing uh, great white sharks. And similarly, they don't have spots, but they have a pattern uh, on, uh, on the kind of the break line between the upper part of their body where it's more darker and the lower part, which is really white. And so just like the spots that you are observing, uh, that, and it's such a neat topic. And, uh, and I, I've been diving with it these sand tiger sharks on that U-boat in another wreck. And so tell our audience, since this is an audio only venue, uh, what, how big are these animals? What do they look like? Um, would you ever want to dive with one? 
I would love to dive with one. I dive with them here at the aquarium, but I hear stories about uh, the divers out on the actual wrecks and they see hundreds of them and I get very jealous. So I'm looking forward to that in my future. As far as what they look like, sand tiger sharks are, I would consider a medium sized sharks. So there are over 400 species of sharks in the world and they range in size from about the palm of your hand, the dwarf lantern shark to about 35 to 40 feet or so with the whale shark. And so these sand tiger sharks are probably like six to eight feet on average and uh, about, you know, three to four hundred pounds, I would say, would be an estimate. They are known for those spots. The other thing that helps them stand out is they have two dorsal fins that you can see really well. And they also have, we call it their big toothy grin. So they also get the common name rag, ragged tooth shark because they almost always have their mouths open and they have pointy teeth that look like a fish hook because that's what they're used for to catch those medium-sized fish and keeping their mouth open keeps them from ever poking themselves with those teeth. And it allows them to get that water over their gills because they are one of the species that has to swim to breathe. So that's helping them get the oxygen they need out of the water as they're swimming around. They are neat fish to die with. That's, that's for sure. And uh, I, I want to go diving with you in your aquarium. Do you let the public do that? We do. So you would just have to have your open water scuba diver certification. Sounds like you've got it. You got to do a volunteer application and interview, and then you go through special training here at the aquarium to help out with those dives, either cleaning the habitat, maintaining the habitat, we even vacuum our sand, or you could be part of the interpretive crew and actually speak with the educators through our special microphone to let the guests that come in actually talk to a diver. Oh my gosh. I am, I'm sold. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll talk later. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, and so Haley, I, I want to ask you about your experience in, in this expedition and, and the things you studied, you studied with these, all these images. Um, did, were sharks one of the species you were studying? Did you, did you discover something new about them or any other species? Um, I did not discover anything new, unfortunately. Um, I did tally sand tiger sharks as well um, for NOAA. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, no, no new discoveries, unfortunately, but I saw loads of fish that, you know, you really couldn't see anywhere else. For example, like I saw beautiful, a pair of beautiful mated um, butterfly reef fish, um, as well as um, a purple reef fish here and there, as well as a two-spot cardinal fish, which I personally think was the coolest find of the whole project. That's the uh, yeah. When I said new, I didn't necessarily mean like you had to discover something, but but really, what you were doing was building on the body of evidence, which is as Katie mentioned during this webinar, um, is fairly data deficient. So you you did very important work. I wouldn't belittle it. Uh, that's really fascinating. Yeah, I think off the North Carolina coast. Uh, most people would think it's rather uh, just flat sand and, and not, not too interesting, but here you have these amazing reef species that these wrecks attract. Um, that's just terrific. And uh, well, great. Thank, thanks, Haley. Uh, and are, are you, what are you going to, are you going to continue this work in any way? Uh, as much as I wish I could, I am currently um, attending grad school at the moment um, in Boone, North Carolina. And that's Appalachia State? Yes. Right on. We'll, we'll talk about your future in a moment. Ailea, uh, I'd like to come back to you and ask you also what, what you learned during your experience with studying these images. And, and I also want to ask if you used any machine learning 
to match pattern match these the, the spots on these sharks and identify individuals? Uh, yes. So with the spot mapping process, I was able to receive training of using the Spot a Shark USA database. And with that, we I was able to essentially point where the first dorsal fin, the second dorsal fin, and the pelvic fin was at. And with that, I was also able to place points of where I was able to see visible spots. And with that, it went through a two testing process. And after going through these two tests, it would come up with potential results as to what the test felt like were potential matches for the shark I was doing the spots for. So with that, I was able to spot map 31 sand tiger sharks. And out of all of that, I was going to see if I was able to see any re-encounters either from a different wreck or a different site. But something I found very interesting about this research was all 31 of my sharks were new encounters. So that's significant. Yes. Yes. So that was 31 new sharks that I was able to add into the spot a shark USA database. So that was amazing. And with that, for what I was able to collect, I was able to collect a high percentage of males versus females, which under current, before I had conducted this research, there had actually been a larger percentage of females that had been added to the database. So that I found very interesting as well. That is really notable that you added 31 individuals to the database. This is very much like the white shark work I was doing. And you, uh, do you know how many are in the total popu- population of that database? I am not entirely sure as to an exact number, but I do know that there are greater than 2,000 documented individuals and there have been greater than a hundred recaptures of these okay. sharks. Well, that's really neat. Now you're a sophomore and you still have room to um, move up forward in this. Are you, are you going to continue this next year? Uh, I will actually, I have been granted a summer fellows scholarship to actually continue more of this research over the summer. So I am really excited to continue on and looking more into these sand tiger sharks, maybe see if I am able to find recaptures or, or be able to add more sharks into to the database. So that will be something I'll be covering more in the summer, not so much in the upcoming fall, but that will be something I'll be working on this summer. Okay. Well, that's great. You are quite 
an accomplished scuba diver, Ilea, and I've <laughs> looked at all your qualifications on your bio today. And so I have to ask, have you been diving on a North Carolina shipwreck yet? Not yet. Not yet. I am hoping that maybe sometime over the summer I will be able to because... I hope so too. Yes, yes, yes. I am hoping so. I. It would be amazing to just dive in the North Carolina area and who knows, maybe even see a sand tiger shark. That would be a dream come true. That has to be. You've done enough research to earn it. And tell me, where did you where did you get all your certifications? Um, so I was able to get my open water, advanced open water, and night diving certifications in the British Virgin Islands. It was part of a program that I did called Odyssey Expeditions. Um, I did that my sophomore year of high school. And so I was able to be on a catamaran trip with about 10 other adolescents. And there we were essentially living on the catamaran and also getting our certifications there. And then I ended up getting my rescue diving certification in Turks and Caicos. And so I was able to get that. But I am hopefully in the future going to go towards my dive master's scuba certification. Good for you. That's terrific. Uh, Like I I wrote to you today, you're going to have to get connected with my former Navy diver wife because you guys are on the same level, it sounds like. But uh, nice to get certified in garden spots like that because my daughter and I got certified advanced open water in a rock quarry in Virginia, and it was freezing. But my spoiled youngest daughter just just this last month got her open water cert in Aruba. <laughs> so she she's like you. She played it the right way. Um, well, good for you. Um, I'd love to go back to Avery Paxton now. And I, Avery, I, I really like this dynamic where we have a few of our early careers here still in school and you with quite a long list of peer-reviewed publications and accomplishments and a, a federal position uh, uh, with NOAA. Um, so you're you're that you're just such a good example for these younger younger folks, and um, so I'm interested. You mentor a number of people, and one of them we have is a common friend, um, and you published together recently. This is Damie Stewart. Can you tell us about that work? Sure. So Damie Stewart was a, an undergraduate student at Duke University. She was based down in Beaufort, North Carolina, which is where I'm based at the NOAA lab. And we started to interact with each other. And Damie and I have been collaborating. I would say I've been mentoring her, but our relationship is more one of colleagues. Um, She's a trusted colleague and her expertise is quite high and growing on a daily basis. So Damie and I collaborated on work with artificial reefs. Um, She was working with a large number of colleagues from NOAA, as well as from academia, and for a publication that is hopefully going to be coming out soon. She collaborated with state artificial reef managers from over a dozen states, and Damie has been a lead author on one publication where she calculated the amount of seafloor off the southeastern U.S., so from North Carolina to Florida, that was made up of artificial reefs intentionally deployed to provide 
habitat enhancement for fish communities and sites for stakeholders to use. So folks like fishermen and recreational divers. Um, and she has also been involved with a more perspective piece talking about how when we put new built structures into the ocean, we should think about how we can do it to get the most bang for our buck and specifically how we can incorporate, incorporate ecological principles into that. So how can we use our understanding of fish ecology to make sure that these places function as best as they possibly can? Which many of which are shipwrecks, is, is that right? Yes. Yeah, so many of the structures that are intentionally sunk as artificial reefs are ships that have been decommissioned, very well cleaned, and then sunk to the seafloor. Uh, and so Damie was working mainly on structures like that, as well as concrete pipes and other structures that had once had a purpose on land, such as bridges, and have now been repurposed for use under the water to have this second life. And it's very similar to what we do with historic shipwrecks, right? So these historic shipwrecks, we've talked about this a lot so far, have this incredible maritime history and heritage component, and now they're functioning as these prolific reefs on the seafloor. So to me, it seems like they're having a second life underneath the water. That's a great way to put it. You, you, you're you so perfect in this role here. Um, yes, memorials and, and now this serving another purpose. And in a, in a, it's just brilliant. And for our audience, Damie Stewart is currently at the University of Guam. And she I know her because when she was at NOAA, and I contacted Avery and there was a kind of a common connection. And her father and I served together at the Naval Special Warfare Command. He was a Navy SEAL captain, and uh, and that's where the headquarters of the Navy SEALs are. And so, uh, and, he, and her father is just loves what Damie's doing, and, um, and it's just great to have that connection. And, and uh, actually, I just saw her make her master's thesis proposal. Did, did you contribute to that, uh, Avery? So I have not contributed to it. I did see her master's thesis proposal. She did an outstanding job and she's currently studying coral restoration and different approaches um, and how she might be able to get the most successful outcomes. And I'm really just thrilled to see what Damie does with her career. She's a rising star, as I think we all know and recognize, and such a bright spot for marine conservation and restoration science. That's so well said and absolutely true. I watched that presentation on coral restoration modeling, and um, besides not really understanding half of it, <laughs> I, what I was impressed by is she's a master's degree candidate, and she looked to me like a very seasoned postdoc in the way she described things. Is that fair? <laughs> yes, that's very fair. And Damie's ability to communicate tough concepts is stellar. She has practiced and practiced her science communication skills. She is frequently in where whatever community she is living in, being an active participant, sharing science, how the local community can get involved. And she really is a steward of the ocean that way. Right. Yes. That's her last name as uh, represents. That's great, Avery. Thank you for mentoring her. She, she is a rising star and it's uh, great. To, and for our audience, you know, they, we have we have two rising stars with us right now. Um, Haley, what I really admired about your resume, it, tell us what you're studying at Appalachia State. So funny thing, I am studying student affairs administration at App State. Tell us about that. What, what, what does that involve and why did you select it? Um, 
you know, going back uh, my first two years of undergrad, I really wanted to go to vet school. And that's a whole story on how I figured out uh, I wanted to go into marine science and do all this stuff. But um, at the end of the day, you know, you change your mind in college. And I did just that. And I was like, I want to go to grad school. I'm not ready to be out yet. And so I went into student affairs administration because I figured I could help students in the way I needed help coming into college as a first-gen student from a rural community. I didn't know anybody. Um, so in order to keep, you know, my science background, I think the best the best case possible would be to become a science-related academic advisor. But I'm really open to anything, and I'm excited to see where this path takes me. Well, I admire that about you, wanting to look at, help others. We've all been in a place where we needed someone to help guide us, mentor us. And, uh, and so you going after that, I think, is very, very laudable. So thank you. Thank you. And Ilea, now you have, uh, you have a few years to go in your undergraduate. I'm curious if you're thinking beyond that after you graduate in 2025. Uh, yes. So actually my dream ever since I was three years old is I've always wanted to take care of animals. And it took, I would say, around my freshman year of high school where I realized that I wanted to take care of aquatic animals. And so my dream of after I graduate undergrad is I plan on going into vet school with a specialization in aquatic animals. So that is my goal. I love that. That's great. And Haley shares that interest, obviously. And I think that's really wonderful about both of you. My family, we love marine species and animals of all kinds. And I, I so it was nice to be able to learn this about you and, and see that pursuit. I'd like to go back to Avery and um, ask you, what what drew you to marine science in the first place? So I was drawn to marine science, um, it sounds like similar fashion to some of the other folks on this call. I grew up with both sets of grandparents living on rivers in Virginia, and I spent my summer days and visits to my grandparents' house crabbing, and I just had this innate curiosity and interest in trying to understand um, what was happening to our marine ecosystems and what I could do to help improve their state and in some cases restore them. And that's led me to where I am today. Um, one thing we haven't yet talked about is that my job has transitioned from studying offshore reefs, including shipwrecks, to now studying shallower coastal ecosystems, and we're trying to understand how we can improve the resilience of these shallow coastal ecosystems like salt marshes and coral reefs to impacts from storms and flooding. And so at the heart of what I do is making sure that the science we're doing is impactful and useful to a cast of people. So people who can use this information to make management decisions, people who can use this information um, to guide their decisions about how they interact with the marine environment. And that piece is really important to me. It's what helps me get fulfillment out of my job on a personal level is to understand that the work we're doing is all very applied and the shipwreck work is no exception. That's part of it. Being able to tell the story of how shipwrecks are valuable resources for a diversity of marine life, how they support fish that recreational and commercial fishers depend upon, 
as well as how they provide sites for the recreational diving industry to thrive. Right, right. And Avria, your focus is natural nature-based infrastructure in as terms of supporting coastal resilience. Is, is that correct? Yes, that's one of my focuses. So how we can best work with nature. And that's similar to the content I was listening to your November, I believe it was podcast with um, Ido Sella from Econcrete and the NOAA Restoration Center um, and several others. And it's very similar to that message, how we can best work with nature to um, ensure that we're able to protect our coastal communities um, as well as infrastructure. Yes, amen to that. And it's very important. I remember a statistic of something like 40% of our population lives in coastal counties. And having lived through Hurricane Katrina and having my house washed away, I know that this type of resilience work matters a great deal. And I mean, and, and the, from the blue economy standpoint, my gosh, the I believe that if you took all the coastal counties in the US, including the Great Lakes, they would have uh, the third largest GDP in the world. <laughs> so this is really important work, uh, Avery. And I'm so glad someone like you with your credentials uh, is, is, is doing it uh, for us at NOAA. Um, Katie, you, you and the North Carolina Aquarium, uh, I, I love your outreach mission. And I love the fact that you, you're, you're, you have goals to become a scientific diver and dive with those sand tiger sharks. Uh, when will you be doing that? Do you expect to have those credentials by this uh, certification by this summer? Yeah, I do. I actually started that program, I guess it was two weeks ago. I had to take a, a brief pause from that because I got sick, but they are training several new folks to do that scientific diving off of the wrecks and do lionfish mitigation and sand tiger work. Oh, talk about that. Sure. So we are, we are noticing that lionfish, which is an invasive species that is actually from the Pacific, has made its way to the Atlantic. And we have found them off of several of these wreck sites on these reefs because, as we mentioned, they're fantastic ecosystems. So they're little oases in what's essentially a barren desert in much of the the coast off of North Carolina and the lionfish have made their way there and they don't have really natural predators here and they reproduce really quickly. So they are overtaking a little bit and that's another part of the management piece for these shipwreck ecosystems to keep them thriving in that biodiversity like Avery was talking about. Right, right. And I think we've touched on lionfish in a few other shows and I know Noah's very active. In fact, uh, I happen to still stay in touch with Dr. Steve Giddings, who is the chief scientist at NOAA Sanctuaries, and he's, I think, patented his own lionfish trap. And so very, very important work. In During the May 2022 Valor in the Atlantic uh, live streaming uh, event, uh, which people can go to at sanctuaries.gov slash news slash May 2022 slash Valor in the Atlantic, uh, to see some of the uh, videos of the ROVs that both Ilea and Haley studied, um, there were there were a couple parts of the monitor that just had tons of lionfish. I, you, did you watch those, Katie? I did. We actually live streamed them here at the aquarium for folks to interact with. And Haley and Ilea's professor, Carol Price, was answering questions for us along with some of the folks on the mission. It was really neat. 
That is cool. Yeah, it's great. I, I, I love your education mission. That's so good that you did that. And yes, so interesting. Very interesting. Well, I'm going to Haley now. And uh, I wanted to ask you, Haley, um, what drew you to marine science in the first place? Um, as I said before, I, you know, went into undergrad hoping to become a successful veterinarian and whatnot. And, you know, everything just sort of kind of changed. Um, I took classes like invertebrate biology, um, fish biology. And from there, it really stemmed more into this concentration of marine science that I wanted to be a part of instead of like zoology as a whole, if that makes sense. Um, and like Avery Paxton said, I also grew up near the water in Alabama. So, I mean, I have always been fascinated with our oceans and, um, coming to undergraduate school, it just made me even more curious to learn about all the, uh, animals and organisms we can see there. Right on. I share that with you. And where in Alabama where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Gulf Shores around the Orange Beach area. This is very interesting. I have a, my wife's family is from there and it's a lovely place. So I understand your, your it is, attachment. It is. Yes. Um, how neat is that? Have you been to Dolphin Island Sea Lab? I have not um, since I don't currently live there anymore. It's been a while. Um, I try to go every few years. Um, you know, I want to take my partner eventually because he's never been. Um, so hopefully that is on the list. <laughs> You should. I am still staying in touch with Dr. John Valentine, the director, and one of his his daughter, Marla, was a NOAA Knauss Fellow. And so uh, if uh, you need an introduction, uh, just let me know. Okay. Thank you. Uh, all right. And uh, let's go to Ilea. Uh, I have wanted to ask you, um, you're going to continue some of this work this summer. And uh, when you graduate, what do you think you'll be doing? So when I graduate, my plans are to start applying to vet school and kind of go from there. I also plan to also look towards getting my scientific diving certification as well because I just love the experience of being in the water and just learning about learning more about the organisms we have in our oceans and stuff like that. I love that. That's great. Everybody in, in the audience loves that because that's the kind of people who listen to the show, Ilea. So thank you. Um, I have to ask you about your background. Uh, were both your parents in the Navy? Yes, both of my parents met in the Navy. Well, well what your, would your mom and dad do? Um, my father was a physician and my mother was a corpsman. How about that? Are they still in? No, um, sh shortly after I was born and a little bit of time, shortly after I was born, my mom got out and then a few, a few years later, my dad left the Navy. But did that, did that draw you to the water or the ocean? Did you ever live on, live on a, in a, like on a coastal base or anything like that? Uh, I was born in Travis Air Force Base and I am originally from the Bay Area in California. Yes. But the thing that I would say that really drew me the most to marine science and stuff like that was my parents had come up with us this idea whenever I was in elementary school. And they're like, if you get all A's, we'll let you swim with the dolphins. Oh. And, <laughs> and so that I, I did that and... 
I would say around eighth grade of middle school, uh, we went on a we went on a cruise and we took a trip and I was able to swim with the dolphins and I was able to speak with the marine biologist there and after that I was I was settled I was like this is something I would want to do and just thinking even more so just like global warming and stuff like that I just want to also be that person to protect what we have for future generations to come. Good for you. And you you are that person and you will be continue to be that person because I looked at your resume today and oh my gosh, uh, 404040. Actually, you got higher than 40 and a lot of your courses and um, very great job. Your parents have done something right with you. And so thank them for me. And I, I also want to say, I really like your attitude. You have a lot of good work and volunteer experience and, um, and just keep that up. That's, that's, that's a great thing. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think we're just going to kind of wrap up by uh, maybe just asking final thoughts. Uh, I, I'd love to hear Avery Paxton with NOAA's National Centers for Ocean and Coastal Coastal and Ocean Science. Um, Avery, it's been fun to talk shipwreck ecology with you just briefly. I, I know when looking at your list of, of publications, you could spend hours on this topic. But let's if you wanted our listeners to leave with any thoughts on this subject, what are they? So when folks think of shipwrecks, they typically think of the history around surrounding them. And I hope that one of the big take-home messages from today's podcast episode is that shipwrecks also have this second life where they form habitat for a variety of really incredible marine organisms. Some of these shipwrecks are just purely alive with marine life. Um, if you have an opportunity to dive on them or examine some of the footage from the Valor and the Atlantic expedition where we used cutting edge technologies and partnered with multiple entities to explore these shipwrecks and share the footage live through the internet with folks around the world, take a look. I think you'll be really surprised at what you find. And to me, it's again, it's this fascination of this blending of the history with the marine life or the ecology that make these such special places that we here at NOAA try to learn more about so that they can continue to support marine life in the future. That's a great message, Avery. And there's really nobody better to, to, to say it than you. Uh, if anyone wants to learn more in detail and see some of Avery's published work, just Google her name and Noah, and you'll 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 be able to get to that because she lists uh, on the Noah website. She has uh, links to her published papers, and they're really fascinating. And so, thank you, Avery. That's that's a wonderful contribution. Thank you, Tim. And the other thing I would say is that there are so many opportunities for folks to get involved in studying some of the remaining mysteries of how these shipwrecks function as habitat for marine life. You've seen today that Ilea and Haley have um, taken this charge and have some really fascinating findings. And there's so much more we can do. And it's really exciting to see the next generation of leaders um, being engaged on this topic. It is. It definitely lifts me up, Avery. Thank you. And, and Katie, as one whose profession is to make these, give these messages, which are wonderful, uh, what are your thoughts and takeaways you'd like our audience to, to have? 
I think what everyone can do is share what you learn and share what you know. Anything you learn that was new that's really exciting, share that with people. And to understand that no matter where you are, you have an impact on our natural ecosystems, on our ocean, and the creatures in them. So learning how you impact them and then what you can do to make those impacts positive is really, really helpful. Well said, Katie. Thank you so much. And remember, Katie is is at the North Carolina Aquarium in Manteo on Roanoke Island. And uh, I can't wait to go diving with you, Katie. Let's go. All right. Uh, with a few sand tigers. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. And um, I want to, Haley, thank you for being on this show. I, I wish you luck in your studies at Appalachian State. And um, I, do you have anything else you want to share with our audience about what you've learned or what you hope to learn and, and do in the future? Sure. Um, uh, once again, thank you for the opportunity to be on here. Um, you know, we saw a lot of observations such as, you know, more fish at nighttime and more fish are present with sand tiger sharks around, which is really, really interesting. Um, and all I can do is hope that this research is continued by um, you know, my advisor, as well as future students coming into CMAS, the Center for Marine Sciences and Technology in Moorhead City. Um, I just really look forward to seeing where this goes. Right on. And you have a great attitude, Haley. And that's terrific. I, I, me too. And I'm hoping I'm doing a version two of this episode next year uh, with some more students and more things to learn. So thank you. Thank you. And Aliyah, I'm going to save the best for last. Just kidding, not the best, but very good, I'm sure, because everybody's, everybody's been the best. Uh, what other thoughts might you want to share with us before we close the show? Uh, so I think I would say that I have really enjoyed being able to learn more about shipwrecks and sand tiger sharks as a whole. And... I hope that just bringing out the outreach to more people in the community is amazing. And for my research, that is also being continued over this summer and just for the future people that will also be working in these different type of research projects, just learning more and just finding ways to learn more about what's in the water and come up with ways to protect it. Uh, so one thing that I also really enjoyed during this project was I, out of the 31 sharks I was able to spot map and identify, I was able to personally name five of them. So that was amazing so it's just oh get out of here yes. now you're not going to be able to leave without telling us those names <laughs> yes so um i have five sharks that i identified that i gave little personal nicknames to so it's just like having that experience it just puts a whole new outlook for like if you go diving and you see a shark and you upload it and then even if like, even if you don't find a match, that's still okay because you're also just having that much more of an impact because it it's okay if you don't have a match, but if you have a new one, that's just another shark that we have that uh, we can learn more about in the future. 
Well, that's right. That's a great way to look at that. And uh, I, I'm I'm excited that you got to name some sharks. It's interesting. We got to name some sharks too in Mexico last year, my wife and I. And uh, so fantastic. I know the feeling of being a part of that discovery. It's uh, it's quite uplifting. And uh, so great job. And thank you. Th- thanks for joining us, Ilea. Well, what an awesome show, this latest episode of the American Blue Economy podcast, where we looked at shipwrecks and sea life and their contributions to our ocean and coastal economy. Please join us for our next episode in June. This is your host, Admiral Tim Gallaudet, CEO of Ocean STL Consulting. Thank you for joining us, shipmates. I look forward to getting underway with you next time. Bye.